Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. I want to talk to you about being unshakable and uh, learning from those who came before you. Uh, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 5 if you have your, your Bible. Let me just give you kind of a background of what has happened. Uh, remember, Daniel was taken from his homeland of Israel and brought into Babylonian captivity when he was 15 years old. And between 15 and 18, he's in a three-year school that's supposed to brainwash him and indoctrinate him in the ways of Babylon, worshiping lowercase g gods rather than uppercase g, the one true God. They wanted to change everything about him, but instead he would not allow his values and morals and his spiritual walk with God to be changed. Hey, we live in a world that would like to reshape our worldview. I still think a biblical worldview is the best worldview. I still think the a worldview that follows after Jesus and his love for people is still the best worldview to have. And so now in Daniel 5, we have uh, Nebuchadnezzar is gone, the king is gone, and his grandson has taken over, Belshazzar. And Belshazzar, let me just summarize, was a horrible, terrible, no good, very bad leader. That's who he was. He was a party boy. He lived with one word engraved over his bed as he slept, entitlement. He partied like there was no tomorrow. He wanted to show off all his stuff. And one commentary said that he was a spoiled royal brat. So think about this. Here he is now in the palace, the party king, and the Medes and the Persians are after him. They want to overthrow his city. Now, the city of Babylon had 50-foot and 80-foot walls. It was pretty fortified. And it had a beauty of a river that flowed right underneath the walls into the city. And so in Daniel 5, verse 1 to 5, King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles, and they drank wine with him. Now, this was not wine sipping. This was wine gulping, okay? Big gulps of wine everywhere. And while Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he had a thought. This thought comes to him, hey, let's go and get all the royal goblets that my grandfather had taken from God's temple. So now they're taking all the goblets that were used for, for wine and the worship of God, now to drink wine and the worship of self. They were taking godly elements and using them in a sacrilegious way. And suddenly, as they're drinking, they see fingers of a human hand appearing. Now, if you're an old timer, you'll remember the thing. <laughs> that was on Adam's family, remember? Huh? And it just crawled around. Actually, the Adam's family is making a comeback. PCPA Theater is going to be doing it uh, this month over in Solvang. So it's out there. And some of you may have seen the Adam's family. Anyway, could you just imagine there's this hand with fingers, and it's all of a sudden writing on the plaster walls. I think the first thing I would do is say, who put something in my drink, right? Who put something other than Kool-Aid in my Kool-Aid? And so the, the, the writing is on the wall, and the king watched the hand as it wrote. 
The writing is on the wall. By the way, that phrase, the writing is on the wall, came from this story. If you ever heard anybody say that, yeah, you read the writing on the wall? Can't you read the, yeah. Can't you see the warning in front of you? That comes out of this biblical story. Hey, let me ask you a question. Do you pay attention to warnings? Do you heed your warnings? Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes we do. I mean, you've got uh, stuff. If you drive a car, uh, no doubt there's some kind of warning light or some kind of gauge. I mean, you can pay attention to that, or you can just simply say, I don't like what you're saying to me. I don't like that the oil pressure's low. Check engine light means nothing to me. You can go to the back of your car, open up your trunk, and get out the tire iron, the one that you use to tighten the, the, the wheel uh, lug nuts with, and you could just take that and beat the tar out of that warning light, and it will go away. Check engine. No way. I'm not checking anything. Just beat it up. It'll stop blinking. It won't bother you anymore. Until some day down the road, something will happen. Smoke will come out of you know, the right side of your motor, or something will you know, blow up through your fuel injection if you have that, or your carburation. Something will, will cause it to, 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 to slow down or, or just to die altogether. Hey, you know what? Belshazzar didn't heed the warning. Now, let me just capture your mind for a moment. Could you imagine? Could you imagine seeing a hand right on the wall? And you go, no, it's no big deal. Or somebody speak into your life some kind of a warning. Or you're reading the scriptures and it, 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 it comes and grabs you. Or you constantly hear at every turn from different voices, people that know God, the same kind of warning. Let me just save you years of pain. Pay attention. If there's a warning, pay attention. If your doctor says, hey, all your numbers are bad. Come on. All your numbers, the last thing I like is to go to the lab and have the doctor then send me a note and say, uh, hey, Bernie, my friend, <laughs> pay attention. You got to pay attention. You got to pay attention. Somebody says, cut out the salt. I want more salt. Cut out the sugar. I like sugar. Cut out the, uh, come on. Come on. Anybody else in my camp? You got to pay attention to the warnings. Come on. All right. Good. Six people. That's great. By the way, you all look totally physically fit, so... I'm the only one that has to work on anything. I got it. That's all right. So Daniel 5, 6, his face turned pale and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. Now, legs became weak is a nice way of saying um, everything in his body became weak, which is a nice way of saying um, his pants need to go to the laundry. Afterwards, okay, I'm stopping there. So here you have this guy. I mean, his internal system is shutting down. A thousand guests are watching the handwriting on the wall, and no one could interpret the writing on the wall. Guess who they called? Come on. They called Daniel. Yeah. And this is the message, verse 25, of the handwriting on the wall. Mene, mene, tekel parsin. Now that's Aramaic. And it's the only phrase in the entire Bible in the Old Testament written in Aramaic. Aramaic, for you Bible scholars, was a language that Jesus spoke. And it's in the New Testament. But it's not in the Old Testament. Tekel. You know what tekel means? It means to be weighed. And that word to be weighed, understood by those people in Bible times, 
that your life is going to be weighed against God's righteousness like a scale. So here's the righteousness of God. And here's your life. Ding, ding. And on your best day, could you move the, the scale? In other words, everything you do, every decision you make, every word you speak has a weight to it. And a weight that will be judged against the word of God, the obedience of God, uh, and, and the holiness of God. And that's why we tell people around here, and we stand on this truth, that without Jesus, there is no righteousness in you. You could work all day. You could work all night. And your righteousness would be like filthy rags. You can't move the scale. But when Jesus Christ and the righteousness and the weight of who he is, the weight of the body of Christ, the weight of the blood of Christ, the weight of the resurrection of Christ, the weight of the fact that he forgave our sins, it equalizes the weight of God. See, God recognizes Jesus when Jesus is in you. You know why? Because Jesus is God. He sees himself in you. When Jesus is your Lord and your Savior and your King. And someday our lives will be weighed to Kel. And the word parsin simply means divided. So, by the way, uh, pay attention there, uh, Belshazzar. Let me tell you what the story is. Here's the story your life is going to be weighed. Weighed. And everything in your kingdom is going to be parsin or parsed out. The Medes and the Persians are going to divide everything you have. You're losing your life, and you're losing your kingdom, and you're losing it tonight. Wow. That's a warning, don't you think? And rather than getting on his knees and saying, Daniel, oh, wise man full of the Spirit of God, help me. Rather than feeling the love and forgiveness of God coming towards him, he just simply parties on and continues to drink Wine from the holy elements of the temple. Wow. But before that, like it wasn't enough, Daniel gets promoted again. Daniel 5, 29 to 31. Then Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck and it was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. But that very night, Belshazzar, king of Babylon, of Babylonians was slain and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Now, you uh, war scholars would like to know, how did they ever get into this fortified city? Well, what they did is they knew that the river ran through Babylon. And so upstream, upriver, they diverted the river and had new tributaries dug out and made. And because Belshazzar and a thousand of his buddies were all partying, nobody was paying attention. And up the river, they diverted the river so the water level inside the city and under the wall went down. And they just got their inner tubes and floated on in. <laughs> yeah, they floated down river. Got in right underneath the walls. Boy, be careful. Watch the walls of your own soul, the walls of your own mind, the walls of your own life, and what's trying to crawl underneath. I don't know where you live, but most of Lompoc and, and Vandenberg Village and Mesa Oaks and Mission Hills has gopher problems. Those gopher, they're, they're something else. Yeah, we had a gopher once across the street. We saw the mounds. We said, stay there. And pretty soon the mounds came on our side. 
And I looked underneath the street. Them gophers had crawled, dug all the way underneath the street. Come on. They're pretty clever, aren't they? You go to some of our parks around here, you see gopher mouths. Hey, be careful of what's trying to tunnel into your soul. Pay attention to what you're allowing in your thoughts and in your brain and in your mind. Daniel 5, 12. See how I spiritualized that? That was great. This man, Daniel, has a sharp mind. This is what the queen and king said about him. A sharp mind filled with knowledge and understanding. He can interpret dreams, explain the meaning of mysteries, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what it means. Then verse 13 says, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father, the king, brought from Judah? I've heard that the spirit of the gods, see, he didn't know any better because he worshiped gods, lowercase g, but he knew that the Holy Spirit of God was in him, that he had what? Insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. Let's say it. Insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. That's an incredible reputation. Wouldn't it be great if somebody walked up to you and said, boy, you're full of the Holy Spirit. I've had people walk up to me and say, I'm full, full of, um, well, but anyway, you want people to walk up to you and say, you're full of the Holy Spirit, and then you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. What an incredible accolade. And they saw it through his life. But how do we get that? How do we get insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom? How are we people that are full of the Spirit, but we're also insightful, intelligent, outstanding in, in our wisdom? Well, Proverbs 4.13 says, hold on to instruction and do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. Guard your instruction well, things that you have learned. And the first thing is, you could write it down in your notes, is to make a commitment to never stop learning. Never stop learning. Now, in my personal notes to myself, I wrote a couple other words too. Relearn. Sometimes I need to relearn things. Huh? Take a remedial class. Sometimes I need to unlearn things. There are certain things in our, in our world or things that we were taught, we need to unlearn them. Like when somebody says, well, it's just the way we've always done it around here. You got to unlearn that sometimes or how you handle problems or how your parents or grandparents handled issues and problems. You might need to unlearn what you learned growing up. You might need to unlearn what you learned growing up. Maybe your parents or grandparents made horrible financial decisions. You'll have to unlearn what they taught you, or you'll repeat their mistakes, and, and it will not go well with you. Yeah. Proverbs 23, 12 says, commit yourself to what? Instruction and tune your ears to hear words of knowledge. So let me just stop for a moment. There's all kinds of words out there today. I mean, you can, you can read somebody's Facebook post, or if you're into that, or Instagram. You can read somebody's blog, or you can watch somebody's video on their vlog, V-L-O-G, or you can watch somebody's YouTube channel or Vimeo channel. See, today, because of technology, anybody can be a preacher, a teacher, a mentor, or a tormentor. Yeah, all you got to do is put it up there, as long as they don't take it down. Put it up there. Somebody will follow it. Somebody will follow it. There are people who are anti-American. There are people who are anti-different races who are putting all kinds of stuff on the internet. 
There are terrorists that are recruiting other people through the internet. There are gangs that are recruiting other gang members through the internet. And so not everything is good that's on the internet. So you have to decide. Not every book that you could be given is something that you should read and devour. Not everybody else's thought. You have to guard your mind, much like you would guard a a fortified city. And you have to make uh, sure that you are committed to tuning in your ears to hear words of knowledge, real knowledge. Learning is not just a stage of life. Learning is a lifestyle. And so I wrote some questions down for myself. I'll just share them with you. You could make up your own questions. But here's one. What new skill am I working on right now that I didn't have last year? What new skill? What new skill next year am I going to possess because of what I'm doing right now? How am I going to be different? How will I be better? I think that's a great question to ask. I wrote this down. Hey, Bernie, this is to myself now. I'm just letting you in on it. Hey, Bernie, where are you going to be stronger in your life? In what areas are you going to know more? In what areas will you be wiser than you are today? And how are you going to be filled with more of the Holy Spirit in the coming months? What will I do to make more room for the Holy Spirit in my life? So it's not just learning, but it's also being able to sharpen your axe to be stronger. Um, It's been attributed to Abraham Lincoln. I don't know if he actually said this, but he said if he had 10 hours to chop down a tree, he'd spend six hours sharpening his axe and four hours working on the tree. Uh, I think he probably got that from Ecclesiastes 10.10. If an axe is dull and its edge is unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. Not just knowing how to use the axe, that's skill, but making sure the axe is, come on, sharp. Yeah. By the way, by the way, how how many uh, are in here that are parents and kids are at home? Just curious. You got kids at home. Wow. Okay. Can I ask you a question? How are you sharpening your parental axe? Well, we're just going to raise kid number two like we raised kid number one. And if you have kid number three, guess what? Huh? You might need to chase some things. Somebody said, well, we've got this book on parenting from 1982. It was given to us as a gift. We've been reading that book. I, I think I'd want to sharpen that axe a little bit. Maybe read a book from 2019 and 82 together. I talked to some parents about parenting. What are they seeing come down the pike? Uh, what kind of issues are they dealing with? You, you know what I've, I've, I've learned? Time is really changing. Life is moving fast. I'm reading a book right now by uh, John Maxwell, leadership guru, and it's called Leadership. He talks about how some of the leadership practices we had uh, in the 80s and 90s are not working today. A lot of people were taught, especially in uh, corporate culture, how to be managers more than they were taught how to be leaders. Managers, I've got a position, you will do what I say, as opposed to leading and guiding somebody. There's a lot of change going on, folks. Have you, I know you're paying attention. There's a lot of things happening at the quick speed like that. So do yourself a favor, Proverbs 19, 18, and learn, come on, all you can, then remember what you learn and you will prosper. Yeah, most of our, our memory was done so we could pass the test. 
And then after the test was done, we erased that from our brain. Come on. I'll tell you, I, I, I took Spanish in school. I don't remember much because I didn't use it, right? Didn't use it. Uh, I did really well in math in school, but I don't use a lot of math now because I have a thing called a calculator, right? I mean, you could just like right click on your mouse and bring something up and go, oh, figure this out for me, will you? And just sit back. It'll do all the numbers, everything else. It's great. So you don't use that skill, and pretty soon you lose that skill. Well, how do you learn more? You've got to be humble. We must be humble. And here's what I find a lot, and I could be the only one finding this out. A lot of people, because of their pride, feel like they know everything there is to know. I'm, I'm okay. But Belshazzar, if he was here today, would say, boy, you better heed the warnings of time. See, pride doesn't want to ask questions. Humility will ask questions. And Daniel was a man of amazing understanding. He asked the right questions. And then in Proverbs 12, 13, uh, this is for any teachers here today. Pay attention to your teacher and learn all you can. Uh, By the way, if you have kids going back to school, you should put this in a note card to them. Back to school. They think they're going to get a, a, you know, a check or money. Just put this in there. Pay attention to your teacher and learn all you can. Somebody said, well, I'd like to use that in the school, but, you know, I can't put the scripture on the board. No, 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 don't put the scripture on the board. You get in trouble. Isn't that sad? But you get in trouble. Put this on the board. King Solomon said. <laughs> yeah. You could do that. You get away with that. History record, History records a king named Solomon, and he wrote the book. And in the book, he said, pay attention to your teacher and learn all you can. See how you get around it? It works works for me. Now, number two, learn the lessons of the prior generation. You might go, this is easy. Got it. I got it. But are we learning from the prior generation? Are we really paying attention to the prior generation? Hey, by the way, parents, get this down and use me as a scapegoat. See, Pastor B said, you should learn from the prior generation. Thou art me. If you're talking to your kids or grandkids, they should learn from you. I love what Job 8, 8 and 9 says. Ask the former generations and find out what their, yeah, their fathers learned. Now, don't say this next part to a young person because they'll blow you out. They don't want For you were born only yesterday. In other words, what do you know? You know, boy, if you tell a young person You tell somebody under 30, you were born yesterday, what do you know? That's not going to go well with you because their pride will will come up. But but how about you say this? Uh, Let's find out what the former generations, and notice what, what Job says, the former generations and find out what their fathers, their fathers. So now I would be a young person, let's say, asking the former generation, which would be my dad, what his father's. So we're going back like three or four generations here. What's in our lineage? I know a lot of people are into their genealogy and all that stuff. That's great. Go for it. But don't just find out where they're from. Find out what they experienced. Find out what they knew. Find out if they served the Lord or not. Find out what kind of mistakes they made, what kind of successes they had, because that's a part of who you are, who you are. Uh, We had, when uh, Caleb Quay was with us at our men's gathering, we had a gentleman ask a question about the sins of the fathers coming upon the next generations. And 
And uh, the answer pretty much was, we get to break that because of Jesus. I mean, when there's just crud coming down the pike from your history, your life, your lineage, you get to stop that by saying, I'm sorry, that's not how we do business here, and that's not who we believe in here, and we're not going to allow that kind of language here, and we're not going to allow that kind of violence or abuse here. We're going to put a stop to it and say, no more. And we have that option in life. We have that option in life. So you can rise up and say, I'm sorry, we're not going to take it anymore. We're not going to allow that anymore. We're going to follow after Jesus and God and all that his word declares for us. Um, in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6 to 11, it's talking about the scriptures and the value that they are to us. And, and here's a way to learn life. By the way, I, I know that, that our world is really enamored with you know, fantasy and, and really great you know, uh, uh, special effects and all that. And by the way, that's all good. That, that, that's, that's all fine. But the Bible's filled with real people. Moses was a real guy who had to re, uh, lead some really tough people. I mean, the Israelites were tough. The Bible says they were stiff-necked. In other words, they were arrogant. They were prideful. They believed that the air they breathed was rarefied air, you know? We're something that you're not. But 1 Corinthians reminds us these things occurred as examples to, to warn us and keep us from wanting to do the same evil things they did. For Scripture says that we should avoid drunken parties. Hello, Belshazzar. Don't you wish he would have? Sexual immorality and worshiping things that aren't God. We should not test the Lord's patience or grumble and complain as some did and died. These things happened as examples and were written down as... Warnings for us. So as you read the scriptures, these are warnings. Heed the warnings. Another important part to this is if we're going to teach the next generation, we have to make time for them. And I loved having Raymond and Dulan up here because they remind us of the next generation that we must pour into, not just as a church, but as individuals. There are people that you could mentor, that you could coach, that you could befriend that are a lot younger than you. I, I, I'm here today because a, a dear pastor, when I was 20 years old, saw something in me and said, hey, why don't you come to a church that I'm now pastoring? He had pastored a very large, successful church. And as he got up in years, he said, I'm going to take a smaller church because it's more my, my, my speed, you know? And he called me up. He said, guess where I am? I said, yeah, I don't know. I, I heard you went to Santa Monica. He said, yeah, I'm in Santa Monica, just 20 blocks away from the beach. I thought, that's pretty cool. He goes, how would you like to come and, and work with us on Sundays? He said, it pays um, $5 a week, 20 bucks a month. Now, I had a four-wheel drive, lifted V8 Chevy truck. Uh, it cost me more than that in gas to get down there. But the lessons I learned, my goodness. By the way, I wish I had that truck, 1970. Four-speed, yeah, it was pretty cool. Worth a lot of money now, but anyway, well, we all, a lot of us have those stories, right? Somebody said, yeah, I had a GTO, and it was all original, and I sold it for 1100 bucks. <laughs> yeah, worth about 35 to 40 now. Anyway, so uh, moving on. Sorry for that. So he let us, Debbie and I, preach and lead worship and taught us, poured into us. It was amazing, amazing time. I didn't have the time to do it. Because I was um, working 30 hours a week, carrying 18 units, playing in a Christian band, 
I didn't, have, I didn't have any time. I mean, I was young. See, when you're young, you don't sleep. Except I'm finding now a lot of young people like to sleep a lot. I don't know what happened. When I was 20 years old, man, anyway, I could go on no sleep at all, pretty much. But uh, now they have lots of sleep and caffeine. So, uh, but this guy poured into my life. I'm 20 years old, and he's letting me preach. He took the uh, Wednesday night board meetings they had and moved them to Sunday afternoon so I could observe how to organize church finances, how to set budgets and stuff. I just, it's just amazing. I just got to ask you a question. Who are you mentoring? Who's 10, 20, 30 years younger than you if you're that old that you're pouring into? I think it's so important that we keep doing that and we keep investing in our youth. I am, I'm going to say it again. I'm so proud of Tyler and our youth team and what they do. Uh, if you ever want to snoop on a Tuesday night, uh, you know, let us know. You can come in, sit in the back, and watch what's happening. God's doing great things. I mean, to come here and uh, have 17 young people get baptized in front of their peers and their, their family, kind of like an you know, impromptu baptism, I just thought that was great. To see uh, over 10 kids go to camp and give their lives to Jesus. I mean, that's the stuff we should be like celebrating just way up here somewhere because it's just so great, okay? By the way, number three, keep a humble attitude that honors God. Humility begins by simply realizing you're not God. <laughs> That's where we realize we're not, we're not God, so then we become humble. If you follow Daniel through his entire story, you will find out that he remained humble in all of it. Even as he's raised up in the king's palace, he never gets arrogant. He always remains humble. James 4.6, James 4.6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You do not want God to resist you. So if you want to be prideful and you know it all, then guess what's going to happen? God's going to resist you, but be, be humble. Uh, number four, focus your mind on truth. I've already beat this to a pulp this morning, but there is so much deception out there, so many lies out there. Uh, make sure that what you're putting into your life is truth. Proverbs 15, 14 says, a wise person is hungry for truth, while the fool feeds on trash. New Living Translation just goes for it. Hey, the fool feeds on trash. You could begin to answer that question, what's trash? What things would be denoted as, as trash? And say, God, I want to keep that away from my life. Proverbs uh, 4, 23 says, be careful what you think because your thoughts now run your life. Be careful what you think. Be careful how you think. I, I love this, this, this line that your challenge is not your challenge. It is the way you think about your challenge. And your problem is not your problem. It's the way you look at your problem. That's, by the way, that's a, a free with the price of admission today. Your challenge is not your challenge. No, no, Pastor, I got a challenge. No, it's how you think about your challenge. It's how you view your, your challenge. It's how you think about God. It's whether or not you're going to allow the Holy Spirit to guide you through the challenge or through the problem. Okay? We talked in our series about being anxious for nothing, what you should think about. It comes from Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Let's read this together, can we? Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is... Whatever is if anything is excellent or think about such things, this should be the filter of what we allow into our minds. Is it true? 
If it's not true, stop. You're done. Then you go to the next one. Well, if it's true, is it noble? Is it right? Is it pure? Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever, anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Let that be a part of your mind. By the way, the devil will always mess with your mind. Because he wants, he's a headhunter. He's going after your head and your thoughts are his trophy. Boy, if he can get you to think wrong about yourself or about faith or about the power of the word or the power of the Holy Spirit, if he can get you to think wrong, then pretty soon he's got you because that'll run your life. And then lastly, number five, put, put into practice what I've already learned. See, God's not simply in the business of satisfying our curiosity. He tells you one thing, and then he waits for you to act on it. Put into practice what you know. Put into practice. If you want to be like a Daniel, put into practice the things that you, you, you know. Belshazzar, uh, this king, loses everything because he failed to do this last point. He failed to put into practice what he'd seen and learned from his grandfather, the failings. He could have asked Daniel, Daniel, would you help me? I want to turn my heart to God. Doesn't do that at all. He repeats the mistakes of his grandfather. Remember his grandfather went senile and grew his fingernails long and had to go live in a field and eat the grass as he was on all fours, eat the grass like the ox do. It was a horrible scene from the palace to looking like an ox. And you would have thought he would have taken notes and said, Lord, help me not be like Grandpa. But he didn't do that. Daniel 5.22 says, Daniel said, King Belshazzar, even though you knew all that happened to your father, you didn't learn from his life and you still refused to humble yourself before God who rules from heaven. But wouldn't you like to capture this passage and tell all the people you care about that don't know Jesus as Savior and say, listen, humble yourself before God, the God who rules the heaven, the God who's someday going to weigh your deeds, your righteousness against his own. And if you want the big lesson from today, it's simply this. If I don't humbly learn from the generations before me, I'm going to end up making the same mistakes. So how many of you um, would be able to answer a quick question? How many years did you go to school? How many years? How many years? 12? Anybody say 13? 20? Anybody over 20? 20? How many 20 plus? Well, if you went, let's say, kindergarten and 12 would be 13. And then if you went and got an AA, 15. And a BA, 17. And a master's, 19. And a PhD, come on. 20, 21. Yeah, 22. 20, 20, 20, 23. And could you imagine going to school that long and still not knowing the most important thing? The most important thing to learn is that we were made by God. We weren't made for ourselves. We were made for God, by God, fearfully and wonderfully made. 1 Timothy 6.21 says some people have missed the important thing in life. They don't know God. Met a young lady just a few weeks ago. She's come out of Cal Poly. She did really, really well. She was there six years. Six years. Got a couple degrees. 
$135,000 in student loan debt. <laughs> and she's working a job, no offense, minimum wage, so she finds what she really wants. I don't know how she's going to pay her debt. But you know what I said? Hey, hey, the greatest thing Polly could have taught you. Oh, what is that? No, it's the greatest thing. Yeah, that there's a God and it's not you. And that all of us are going to burn someday. She didn't like that either. She said, I don't know. I had a physics class. Let me see. Are we all going to burn someday? She said, oh, you mean global warming? I said, well, yeah, kind of. <laughs> the end of the earth. It's all going to burn. Oh, but not, Pastor, not my house. I got a nice house. Not my car, Pastor. Not my photo albums with all those kid pictures, Pastor. Listen, can I just tell you, it's all going to burn someday? Yeah, true global warming. I said, the greatest thing you've ever learned, I can tell you right now, and it's free, that there is a God, it is not you. And there's a God who loves you so much, he gave his son Jesus. Why would he give his son for us? Why? Why? Because there's a warning. What's the warning? Someday we're going to stand and be weighted against God. There's the warning. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's the warning. Do you know God? What if there was a hand today and it wrote something on the wall like this? Your days are numbered. Everything you've done will be weighed out. You're going to lose it all. Huh. Oh, P.S., but I can change that for you if you would believe in me, if you would confess me as Lord and Savior, I can change that. That's the good news of the gospel. In a world that's broken like ours, people need to heed the warning signs. In a world that is messed up, that doesn't get it, people need to know the grace of God. And I pray that he will use you to declare that to them, to open your mouth boldly and tell somebody about the good news of God. The good news of Jesus. Somebody says, well, I don't want to offend anyone. Ah, ah. Well, they're offending you by the choices they're making, aren't they? Yeah. They're living a certain way, anti-God or anti-Christ or anti-Bible. And we should be bold enough to say, with all love and respect, the writing is on the wall. There will be a day we'll stand before God. And my hope and prayer is when you do, you could say, I'm okay, Lord. I'm okay, because who's in my scale with me? Jesus. And he's just like you. And I stand in his righteousness. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.